banks, inflation and fiat currencies. These are very prominent topics and today I'm going to talk about them and maybe give you some new insights about yeah, what is really going on there. So let's get started. Among the many topics that yeah, can be filtered out in macroeconomics, economies and yeah, economic conduct, money, etc. Banks, central banks, um, currencies and also yeah, macroeconomic metrics like inflation are the most interesting. Especially in the last year or in the last couple of years actually, the topic of inflation has become very prominent because it has hit many countries, uh, some more, some less. Uh, for example, China is one of the countries that was not that hit by inflation, actually is still growing, um, but this has also other, other reasons. But generally, most countries experienced high inflation rates that they weren't used to uh, yeah, in, the, in the period, um, yeah, a couple of years before the corona pandemic. So the narrative is very interesting here because many people that talk about inflation that have some kind of a semi connection to the financial markets are always bringing up this topic of central banks printing printing money and uh, we have the rising inflation because of that. But it's not only the semi structured argument but also yeah the layman is uh, entering into the discussion and saying well the central banks because they are printing so much money this is why we have inflation and this is why we are in such a bad situation right now now this is an extremely simplistic account and even more simplistic is the assumption that because that is the case we need to get rid of um, fiat currencies and money altogether in the form of like physical uh, banking notes and, and so on and so forth. Um, very naive thinking in, in my opinion and um, completely false for good reasons that I'm going to explain today in this episode. And recently we have seen that many US banks actually filed for bankruptcy um, also kind of accompanied by the I wouldn't say um, failure because it's it's very kind of um, self-constructed um, destruction of the Credit Suisse in, um, in Switzerland. So people also think about or kind of talk about banking crisis. Banking crisis, obviously, uh, when we hear that, we think back to 2008, uh, where the global financial crisis started in the banking sector and obviously the associations are not very good so there are many topics kind of interrelated but um, there is and i can um, yeah I, I feel some sort of a fearful atmosphere in and around the financial markets me as a manager of uh, or in a financial um, analytics firm um, in germany I have um, kind of the insights into into what people and uh, yeah uh, clients and uh, market participants think more or less, um, and there it is a very prominent theme 
that yeah this this fearful thinking of yeah do we have a banking crisis are we going to enter a recession how hard is this recession going to hit us how long it is going to last and so on and so forth and obviously the most simplistic account central central banks are printing money they are bad we need to get rid of fiat currencies so where do we start here it is very complex and i do not think that i'm going to be able to sufficiently explain the whole uh, chain of logic here because um, it is very complex and there are many factors that play into it so this is why i'm probably also going to um, make a more detailed episode on this topic at um, some other point but in this in this episode i want to start by actually playing the uno reverse card uh, i wish i um, had had one here um, to kind of show you the uno reverse card in this case because if you are simple enough to think that central banks printing money means inflation in a direct connection to one another yes then i can yeah also argue that as a central banker you would know that most probably as technocratic institutions central banks hire very uh, developed and and uh, well-educated people from uh, the finance sector and and economic um, or other economic institutions so we would expect that people would know if yeah printing uh, unlimited money is increasing inflation or not and yeah i mean it is a very simplistic account so there is also other things that or there are other things that central banks do they buy back for example certain sums of money overnight or long term for example and this is how money can be pulled out of the system while also providing um, good credit conditions to short-term financial institutions or those um, lenders that want to uh, park their money in short term. So this generates kind of um, growing incentives for businesses and, and um, yeah, banks and, and other money or financial institutions. So this is a very important aspect. But on the other side, it is also important to see that central banks are extended agencies of the government. So we have different macroeconomic policies that are not only informed by financial goals. So governments actually need to fulfill a wide range of political and societal goals where economic policy plays a role. It can be that you want to influence demographics, education, um, foreign policy and so on and so forth no matter what you are doing and which route you are going to take and uh, aim for economics plays an important role you can do this fiscally by for example raising taxes reallocating uh, money and um, yeah using certain incentives tightening or loosening um, working conditions and so on and so forth you have so many fiscal um, measures that you can actually use to influence your political and societal goals but you also have the monetary policy that central banks are um, more or less independently trying to accompany and therefore those institutions they have 
the only mandate, regardless of what uh, yeah, political party or what kind of regime is in power, a semi-independent uh, institution, central banks need to fulfill or kind of help and support the political route um, that macroeconomic policy is taking under that regime. So having this, this account or this simplistic view of just printing money um, for the sake of pushing financial markets to the edge um, is not quite true because if you have monetary expansion the question is also where does this money go printing money or monetary expansion is in the simplistic view not thought through in the sense that we look at where the money is going usually people just assume they're printing money we have more money and it becomes um, worthless over time but that is not really the case because printing money actually functions via the interest rate and other um, and other forms of giving credit to financial institutions there are more direct or indirect uh, ways of, of giving credit maybe you're tie as a central bank you're tying it to uh, certain conditions or maybe just target certain sectors um, but there also interest rates are the central tool of, of um, dealing with those um, yeah monetary flows so if you have the general interest rate quite high obviously the lenders are not going to um, they have less incentives you know it's, it's not that cheap anymore to to get money and therefore it's more restrictive Whereas when you have low interest rates, obviously the incentive is there to borrow money and use that. Banks obviously lend this money then to uh, companies um, who want to finance certain projects, mergers and acquisitions and so on and so forth. But interest rates not only influence banks but also individuals. On the individual level, if you go to a bank and want to have a loan, the loan is pretty much or the conditions of the loan are pretty much dependent on what kind of interest rate the bank yeah, received from, um, from the central bank under which conditions they received it because they are using the margin, they're putting a margin on, on top of it and then they're lending it um, to you as a private person. So you are also influenced by the interest rate. And obviously if you're just considering this um, this process it obviously seems like okay well if we have low interest rates and everyone is borrowing money from you as a central bank the supply needs to be there kind of and then you obviously offer the supply um, you you give it to the banks they give it to uh, investors uh, businesses and also um, yeah, private households and then obviously, you know, the more money is there, um, the prices go up because there's devaluation. But that is not per se the case. See, if you look at where the money is going and in what way, then you will find out whether this monetary expansion is actually triggering inflation or not. The difference is if the monetary policy is designed that households receive the bulk of the money of the monetary expansion then you're creating 
demand incentives. And demand-driven growth in economies is extremely dependent on, continu uh, on continuous demand and continuously growing demand. If you are not able to produce continuously growing demand, you are going to enter into a stagnation uh, phase. And it would also mean that production needs to, needs to lower its quality. Because let's assume you buy a certain good and then you, your demand is basically satisfied. You don't need it anymore because you have something new. Let's say, uh, yeah, let's say a lamp, for example. But then obviously you don't need another lamp. But if you then receive more money, and this is the monetary expansion creating demand incentives, you might have the need for another lamp for whatever reason. The lamp is just an example. Yeah? It can be any other good. But if there is no additional yeah, demand incentives in form of more funds to allocate on a monthly basis as an individual household, then the economy creates the demand or recreates the demand by producing low-quality goods that break more often and need replacement more often. So if you do not have the continuously expanding um, demand incentives given by a certain uh, monetary policy, the situation kicks in that the quality of products is going to, uh, going to be reduced because the assumption is that everything functions in an economy via demand. And this was actually the case over the last uh, 20-25 years. Demand-driven growth was, especially in highly industrialized um, financial and, and yeah, markets and economies, was the main driver of growth and the main assumption was as long demand is growing, the economy is growing which is to a certain deg degree true, but it's not sustainable over a long um, uh, time frame. And now, coming back to the argument of um, monetary expansion and inflation, you can print money at will if you balance out how production and um, consumption, so uh, supply and demand, interact with each other. We had one-sided growth or one-sided monetary expansion over the last couple of years, meaning that we only served the demand side, always creating demand incentives, especially during the corona, or during the corona crisis, where everyone expected demand to drop, which it didn't actually. It created a situation where we had such an over-demand due to this expansion or this one-sided expansion, and this is very important. I'm not saying that printing money is not creating inflation. I'm just saying that allocating the printed money to only one side is creating inflation. And this is what happened during the corona crisis. They expected that demand is going to drop. It didn't drop. You have the one-sided push of money towards the demand side for the anticipated drop of demand, which didn't happen. And then the production side was not able to keep up with the highly increased demand. And once that happened, obviously it takes some time to adapt and for the prices 
and the, the price um, increases to kick in. And this is what in the end happened. And then we had inflation. But if during the expansion phase, the money um, were to be allocated equally to the supply side, so uh, to the production, we wouldn't have the supply chain issues. We wouldn't have the chip shortages. We wouldn't have um, yeah, inflation altogether because there would be a greater balance between the two sides. So the expansion itself is not the problem, but the one-sided allocation of the yeah, newly uh, existent funds is, is definitely a problem. So the argument is simply not sophisticated enough to say, well, there are people uh, at the printer in nice suits and saying now we are going to um, destroy the economy by yeah, kind of going against the small, uh, the small man, right? And therefore, and therefore we have a different kind of situation um, today, where we have to think about also including the supply side a little bit more. The balance here is very important and not the actual deed of, of macroeconomic policy. So I think it will need some adaptation and it will need to or it will lead to some sort of a rethinking because the demand driven growth has proven quite successful yeah, over a certain time frame and it worked as long as the calculations were um, accurate and we had a, a situation that was more sustainable and more predictable but in an un unpredictable uh, within an unpredictable environment such as the pandemic we had the problem in the end that it was not quite anticipated that demand is not going to drop it was kind of sticky but now let's turn to the question of banks and banking crisis in this case, I have to say that there is a valid point to see banks and um, yeah, banks kind of failing more frequently in the future. And I do think that there is a warranted fear of a banking crisis to a certain degree. Up until now, for example, the Credit Suisse failure was predictable and it was necessary. The bank was so uh, corrupt, ridden by scandals. Management was extremely, extremely unsuccessful. Other banks as well, they had um, management issues um, in, the, in the United States. The Silicon Valley Bank was not very diversified. So there are explanations for all the bank failures that we've seen um, until now. But I think there's a very big risk of banks, of, of more banks failing and also big banks because we had a certain period of demand-driven growth, right? As I just explained. And during that time, private households, just as it was in the run-up to the 2008 crisis, household, households borrowed so much money for, um, for buying houses and all those mortgage loans were taken yeah, um, during times of extremely low interest rates. If you now have to renew the mortgage contract 
right? You will get the current interest rates. Meaning that, yeah, when you first took out this loan, you had to pay like you know, 0.2 or 0.5% uh, uh, interest on that loan. And now with renegotiating or with the, the contract extension, you'll probably have to pay four or five or six or something in seven, eight percent, um, depending on where you are, or even more um, interest rate. But the tricky part is if you are financially stable, that's no problem. If you are like kind of the, the, the premium category, but the subprime categories of loans that were given out during that time of low interest rates they will have struggles paying uh, repaying their debt and they will default and once they do that banks will will get in trouble because the time where we had such uh, low interest rates was so extensive that at some point you didn't have prime <clears throat> you didn't have prime customers anymore you had to serve subprime uh, customers uh, in order to kind of stay profitable as a bank. They did so, and those um, clients now are um, yeah, kind of uh, running into new contracts and, and uh, mortgage contracts where they have to pay interest that they cannot actually pay. And this is a big problem. And now we see that the one-sided allocation of funds and um, the one-sided direction of monetary policy of central banks in terms of, of uh, just pushing for more demand is also detrimental in, the, in a way that is uh, able to bring down banks in the end. Is it going to happen? I wouldn't say it's likely. Uh, there is a likely risk, but I wouldn't say this is yeah something that, that I see coming um, because usually if we are able to talk about these things, in such an environment and people anticipate it usually these things are not um, are not setting in but i do think that we might see a longer and a more yeah flattened out recession in the end because the risk management systems today are much better than yeah back in the days before 2008 we have the basel frameworks we have much more regulation we have much closer cooperation between uh, financial markets where banks um, are much better regulated we have yeah much more streamlined banking structures there are many for example investment banking it's not like people calling um, clients saying hey you have to buy this stock and or you have to buy this this um, or get this mortgage um, something like that all those things um, were basically scrapped and we have a much more secure and stable financial system it's not that predatory anymore it's still predatory obviously i mean we're in capitalist system that's fine but it is much more regulated and the structures yeah are much more secure however the risk is there because there was a grave miscalculation of just serving the demand side and on the other side the supply is yeah having a hard time catching up and the other risk is that once supply um, has caught up with demand, demand has dropped to such a level because of inflation that we have yeah, kind of a deflationary pressure because we have more 
supply than we have demand. So it is an imbalanced situation and I think it will go back and forth over the next couple of years um, until we reach a mode where we find equilibrium again and then we can receive um, or um, kind of start uh, restart into a bull market and um, yeah another um, yeah another run you know and economic uh, expansion in the end as I said highly complex um, but therefore it is also very dangerous to reduce it to to the very uh, simple causality of saying yeah printing money um, makes the prices go up there's some truth to that but only if the expansion of uh, monetary means is one-sidedly done by central banks which was the case here nobody talks about that getting rid of fiat currencies altogether is something uh, that i'm not even going to talk about uh it's yeah it's laughable actually um and uh, this might be uh, interesting in the context of cryptocurrencies and um, i really want to talk about this topic too at some point but um yeah getting rid of fiat currencies this i mean this, it's a joke yeah, just because um people think that yeah they are just money printers and uh, it has no value uh, i'm not going to dive into that but as i said inflation obviously a big problem yeah it is something that has brought down um, some economies and um, it is a, yeah, a stressful situation um, for a lot of economies but it's definitely not only because um, yeah money printers are at work so always think about balance supply and demand both sides need to be served and banking crisis yes there is um, some considerable po uh, potential for a banking crisis because the uh, demand side was yeah, pushed so one-sidedly and because of that the subprime um, clients of banks are more and more likely to default under uh, the current um, interest rate conditions that we have so i hope that this helped you to kind of get a clearer picture of what's going on and um yeah I enjoyed it um, very much and I think uh, just yeah, to, to wrap it up the other day I wrote an article about this for a, a, a German online magazine and it was not very yeah I mean <laughs> the feedback was not very, not very friendly because people so yeah, fanatically and radically believed in the simple causality between um, printing money yeah, so central banks are just there to um, to spit out money all the time and inflation and they just wouldn't believe that yeah those people are professionals that also make miscalculations at time obviously but um, that they have other um, duties too and obviously i don't know people might think that those professionals are not smart enough to think about these things because inflation serves nobody and um, this is also kind of my motivation for this episode actually to kind of explain it in a little bit more um, detail to you so as i said 
I enjoyed it uh, very much. I hope you did too. Until next time for another podcast episode of Acido Magazine. My name is Emre Shentürk. I couldn't even pronounce my name. My name is Emre Shentürk. And I hope to have you back for the next episode. So take care. Bye.